Mike here. We now bring you part two of our look at 2022's Scream. This is the, the second half of the recording. Uh, it was a pretty big episode, we, so we decided to break it into two chunks. Same panel, and you are now going to join our discussion in progress. We hope you enjoy this episode. It was a hell of a lot of fun to do. So there you go. Because it's just so brazen, and it shows like a killer that has absolutely no fear of being caught. They have no fear of any consequences for their actions. And just seeing it's something sometimes in a horror movie like daytime brutality is harder to watch and hits in a much more visceral level because it is rare. And we have like an innate expectation that during the daytime at least we'll be safe. And it's yeah. something working with children. I'll, I remind kids like, hey, at least when you're in school, you have like seven hours a day where you're going to get two meals, be around your friends and be around adults and have your best interests at heart. You know, I don't know what the, the world outside of that might not be like that, but it can be like that here. Her death. It's, it's a it's shocking. B, it's so quick. C, it's so brutal. Like it's not only does he kill her. But he just, it's angry in a way that feels personal. When you're rewatching mm. it again, there's like seven or eight stabs. And it feel, and it's funny because like you said, Rachel, these characters, the murderers don't really have a personal connection to the some of the people they kill, but they do it in such a way where it feels like it. And that makes yeah. it all the more shocking. Well, she's a legacy character, right? Mm-hmm. right? Just like Dewey, like she is in one of the other movies and she's been around you know, since the beginning, I yeah. guess. And like, she's a Woodsboro, you know, native mm-hmm. and like, she has a role in this big yeah. story. So her death is special in that way. Like it's personal because it carries weight to them about where she sits with this franchise. Because but they're like fans her as a, to the extent that they yeah, are. But like her as a person doesn't carry any weight to them. It's right. like what she represents in her role in this, mm-hmm. I don't know, this, this world that they're obsessed with. Exactly. I was going to bring this up later, but I think now is a, a good point. Uh, did any of you watch the deleted scenes? Yes. I have not. There's no. one uh, right after Sheriff Hicks' death where Sam like, finds Mindy um, outside after mm-hmm. the death. And they have a, like, a short conversation like, why are you here? Why are you here? But um, Sam says to Mindy, I thought you said that like the sequels don't matter because obviously like Wes and his mom, if they were following the rules then they wouldn't have been killed and then yeah. uh mindy's just like maybe i was wrong and mm-hmm. then sam was like well, or maybe you weren't maybe this is just a diversion and then that's when she like sees the cops outside the house and asks why they aren't at the hospital so mm-hmm. just thought that was a an interesting little thing excellent because mm-hmm. you don't ever get that in any other movies like the characters are like well maybe i'm not right about these rules no. mm-hmm. yeah and... there's there's never i mean the rules are the thing in the scream franchise that are sacred 
Mm-hmm. And I know we're going to get to the rules later, but like yeah. that, the the rules are for all intents and purposes the gospel of these movies. And so mm-hmm. to see those called into question is is kind of a powerful thing. Maybe maybe these things aren't aren't the gospel that we've taken them to be. Yeah, they might not be as sacrosanct as we we've assumed they are. Exactly. So getting into like, the legacy. Sorry, sorry I was just. Gonna, I feel like Judy's. Uh, maybe her neighbors just didn't like her very much because someone had to like. <laughs> Maybe it's like an A cab situation. Someone had to like notice mm-hmm. that she was being stabbed outside and just like close the blinds and pretend they're like, I'm not getting involved in this. This is a nice <laughs> right. community. I'm not going to deal with I'm, I mean, maybe I, I was thinking while watching this movie, A cab, except maybe Sheriff Judy. But then, yeah, if you're right, her neighbors aren't calling, aren't calling that anybody to help her yeah some, so someone her, saw her next her door something. neighbor is like the 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 descendant of like the dude who like shut off his lights on laurie strode and halloween like <laughs> right. he's like ah fuck this what it is i mean it, it's suburbia right that's kind yeah. of the whole point halloween is making is you know you're in suburbia you don't really mm-hmm. know your neighbors and if you notice something about your neighbors no you didn't mm-hmm. um so and that's that's kind of i mean maybe that's just kind of the logical extension of that stretched here we just had like this past week on trash pickup day like our neighbor right next door like threw out an old mattress in a box crate and when i came home like the box crate was in front of our trash that had been picked up clearly like it either fell out of the garbage truck or the wind blew the the box box spring sorry down and i'm like i could either like knock on their door and ask to move it or i could just leave it here i'm like i don't want to talk to my neighbors i'm just gonna leave it here (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i I would rather yeah and our neighbors were super nice so they actually went and picked it up and took care of it so um but that same neighbor like our car got broken into uh, a bunch of cars did on this they took like literally took my like gas medicine was like what they took like the stuff that <laughs> stops me from farting um and i so i called my neighbor because i know their number because they own a, a swimming pool company and our houses are close enough for like i left them a message and i did over here like yeah some guy left a message saying that like our house has been you know our cars might get who's this dude like and i just started to laugh you know just <laughs> it's me that's the suburbs <laughs> it's yep. a me mario all so, right yeah, sorry when uh she also she pulled up to the house like with her sirens and stuff on so someone someone saw her die mm-hmm. right. did yeah. not care don't care they probably had their phones out like someone uploaded that to tiktok later yeah. on you know just with that oh no sound or something mm-hmm. yeah uh, <laughs> um, i'm annoyed i know right <laughs> all right moving on to the legacy characters of this movie because i think this very much um even more than scream 4 i think it does like a better job even in a more limited role of using their legacy characters. Um, I'm going to start with Dewey played by David Arquette. Cause I do feel very much like this is a showcase for David Arquette and Dewey every, he's not on the screen a ton for obvious reasons, but he's so good in this role. Like Arquette is great in it. Um, I see Rachel, your comment here. And I, yeah, yeah, we'll start with that. Like, why do people like characters where it's like, oh, you don't look good. Like he's got a little bit of scruff, but dude is ripped. Like the, the David Arquette is 50 and he's buff and super well put together. And I think the scruff does him well. And like Rachel, how would you describe 
I I mean, he's Daddy Dewey. Like, Mm -hmm. he's hot in this movie. Like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, I was never attracted to him in the earlier ones. But, Mm -hmm. like, this version is, this is, it's working for me. And, like, I don't know. He's, he's uh, aged into his looks for sure. But, yeah, he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't look that bad. Like, (laughs) I'm not sure if he, like, reeks of booze or something. Mm -hmm. But it's, like, he doesn't, I don't know. He doesn't look like he's that down and out. I don't know. Mm -hmm. He's got a pretty nice grill outside of his uh, trailer, so yeah, you know, that's that's something, right? Um, I his so the the death of Dewey was the one thing that I choreographed going into the movie. It was the one thing I was sure was going to happen, mm-hmm. just because of watching the trailer. I knew that I never saw him on screen at the same time as mm-hmm. Courtney Cox or Nev Campbell. The two of them are on screen together, but he's nowhere near the two of them. So I'm like. I bet I would put money down that he his death is what gets the two of them to Woodsboro. And I was half right. I was half right on that. But I like I and I leaned over to my buddy before the movie and I was like, I think this is what's happening. Um, and it, but it this movie does. And again, Dewey is maybe the most lovable of the legacy cast. Like he's just such an affable, good natured, fun person. Um, I mean, a lot of the the franchise he's treated as kind of a, a bit of a joke as a kind of a bit of a, a dummy but in i think this movie is dewey's redemption this is his swan song and he gets like this really incredible hero moment there right before he's he's out of the movie and out of the franchise presumably but like this this movie is absolutely david arquette's swan song and he mm-hmm. he just does so well it's so good this is the first movie that doesn't treat him. He still remains like funny and sweet. Like they don't change his character or harden his character so much that you don't recognize him, mm-hmm. which would have been all the more tragic. He remains the things you like about him, but he's not presented as a joke in this character. And I'm thinking like the shot right before he dies of him spilling out the shells and like reloading his gun. Like that's a badass action movie moment right there mm-hmm. um but you see like and it's not mentioned here you see the weight of like the 25 years of these killings and he almost has like the mike hanlon role in stephen king's it where he, does, yeah. he has to be the you know he it's not said out loud but he can't leave woodsboro because somebody has to watch over it just in case so he's the one that has to get in touch and give the bad news to gail to to sydney um, and you feel the weight of that starting with like the death of his sister in the first movie up until the moment he's done with here. Mm-hmm. It's just nice. just seeing, oh, sorry, Andrew. I just, it was a nice touch. Uh, you mentioned Tatum. It's a nice touch that you can see her uh, ashes like on the mantle mm-hmm. next to the Agreed. picture of him and uh, him and Courtney Cox. Just yeah. nice. I was going to say his, his, just his relationship with Gail in this feels very real too. Like I've, I've, really enjoyed how they've handled their relationship in the whole Mm -hmm. franchise. Like it feels very authentic, not only to their characters, but when you take their real lives into perspective, you know, Mm -hmm. put that into the mix. Like it's just incredible that we have them in this film together. Like this is a real life couple that met in this franchise, got married, had kids, got divorced. And now they're back, like having these conversations, Mm -hmm. like it's pretty incredible. And that, when that uh, that conversation they have when they first kind of see each other in person and, you know, she's like, you sent a text, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it's it really kind of 
channels and highlights that sort of not love hate relationship, but like that difficult, that complicated relationship that they have where it's like they clearly have such a deep love for each other, but also yeah. know that they're just not going to work. Right. And it's yeah. just kind of faded. It's always been faded for disaster, but they loved each other. So they tried. And it's just that acknowledgement of it is just so heartbreaking. And they, that's also where they leave it. Like, that's the last time she sees Dewey. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't necessarily leave on, like, good terms. Like, okay, we're going to get back together. Or, like, I love you. Like, none of that. Mm -hmm. Like, they kind of leave fighting, sort of. Like, or at least yeah. in a tense situation. Right. Which just makes his death even more tragic. Yeah. And they have a reaction to it much more, so that much more yeah. understandable as well. And also yeah. just like realistic because literally, I mean, honestly, you never know, right? You never know right. like walking out the door, like what's the day going to be? And so you don't always get those, that, that resolve. You don't get that nice bow on everything. And I like mm -hmm. that they didn't give him that. So her reaction ugh, in just the trailer, heartbreaking. her reaction in the trailer, I think is how I like suspected that Dewey was not going to make it. Cause like in the trailer, you see her, like the scream she gives out and mm -hmm. she's just like leaning on someone. It's like, I feel like there's only one thing that could be a reaction yeah. to. There's nothing else that would kind of give you that sort of reaction. Mm -hmm. And I like that he like watches her show every morning and gets to, yeah. you know, that you so could sad. see that, that for like a very real thing. And I like that he sends her a text because, you know, there are people that like, if they, if you, you just can't face talking to them. Like, you know, you have to get a hold of them, but you can't face like hearing their voice or having to yeah. talk with them at that moment. So that felt like a very genuine thing so to just think like and also like he still gets to be funny like the line when he looks at west he's like well maybe you're the killer because that cut really deep like so that's like a genuinely hilarious so, dewey moment so funny. yeah i think he, um do you think he knew or like had an idea that he was gonna die when he like just like when he accepted uh when he decided to go help the kids i feel like at that point in his life like how everything is gone, like losing a job, losing his wife. I'm not going to say he like gave up, but I feel like Dewey was okay with sacrificing himself for, like, I don't want to say the greater good because it sounds terrible, but I think he knew he had a really good idea of like walking back into this. I might not make it out. And like mm -hmm. when he yeah. turns um at the elevator and says that he cares that he had to go back to like get the headshot. I think he like knew that this might be, might be the end for me. Yeah. Yeah. If he didn't know it when he walked out the door to help them, then he definitely knew it when he shut that elevator door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, he doesn't have them wait for him. You know, if he didn't, mm -hmm. I think he was ready to accept whatever, whatever fate befell on him at that moment. Yeah. And to your point, he's lost every person in his life that he was close with. He lost the job that he had. He's, you know isolated himself from the world and you, you know that isolation is something we see in the other scream movies you see scream three in sydney isolating herself from the rest of the world after the events of the first two movies he was ready to accept whatever was gonna come to him i think you're right that he knew eh, it's 50 50 whether or not i'm gonna get out of this thing and speaking, that's okay speaking again about the deleted scenes there's actually um a little more dewey in them the first one mm -hmm. is the the bar fight with uh with vincent and the kids uh when vince pulls out a knife dewey is the one who shows up like behind him mm. and it's like uh leave them alone come have a drink with me mm -hmm. and the, uh, vince is like not up for it and dewey 
takes the knife from him, but like gets punched and like lands on the floor. And then that's mm-hmm. when the, the bartender like tells the kids to get out. So like in the sure. scene in the film, you don't actually see Dewey, but he's there and he has like that small little heroic moment. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he actually um, is taken or like shows up at the police station to talk to Judy because obviously he's kind of a suspect getting in the fight with Vince and then Vince like shows up dead. Uh, but then Judy asks him for help with the case and he basically like turns her down and then yeah. she gets the news about the hospital and he decides like not to go with her to the hospital. So mm-hmm. just, I'm not sure why they uh, decided to cut that stuff out, but glad they did. I'm glad yeah. they gave him the introduction. I kind of like the idea of him being on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, they did apparently film a scene where he lives or survives the attack of the studio was getting cold feet about whether or not they were going to kill Dewey off. So they asked uh, the directors like, Hey, can you film a version where he makes it? And they're like, sure, we can do that. And they're like, there's no fucking way we're going to use yeah, that. I think the quote I read is like, there was no fucking chance we were going to use that. that been like this movie has stakes. <laughs> it does. Which I got excited. I'm like, ribeye porterhouse. Like, what are we? <laughs> where are we talking here, baby? You're talking my wow. language. You really are a dad, aren't you? Oh, I love a good steak. All right, Gail. Well, so Courtney Cox, I think she had a lot more to do in part four. It feels like in this movie, it feels like the first time that Gail has been kind of relegated to sidekick character. Um, I know in the other screen movies, like I think kind of take it for granted like she's every bit the final girl that sydney prescott is Mm -hmm. in this one it feels like she's a little bit along for the ride like there just isn't a lot for her to do yeah i don't know am i alone in my thinking here not at all like when they get to the house she signed she's sidelined instantly because amber shoots her Mm -hmm. and so she spends like half of that final scene bleeding out on the front lawn before she finally like is strong enough to like stand up and go inside um, where she actually does get a little something to do. She does, you know, shoot Amber into the stove and like light her on fire, which is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Maybe my favorite kill of the movie. Um, so, I mean, she has a little bit to do there, but it, none of it feels earned. Yeah. Be- and it's almost like maybe her schedule didn't line up to be, you know, for, for quite as much as, as the other guys. But yeah, it feels like she's got the least amount to do of all the legacy characters in this movie. And it's it's kind of a bummer for Courtney. Like I think Sheriff Judy is actually a bigger part of the movie than Gail is. Yes, I agree. I I don't hate it though. I mm-hmm. mean, I feel like this next one it'll be even less. Yeah, you know, I hope and maybe so. she's. I, it's like I know that they, but they haven't even announced that like Nev is signed on. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like it's kind of interesting because it's like, what if she just isn't in it like what if like how are they gonna because it's like if she signs on it's like oh she's in it but like right she's not in it i would be totally fine with it the legacy characters being gone same yeah with this or like what if gail's just like on tv as she's on Mm -hmm. tv or like because it kind of seems like she's ready to enter a new chapter in her life yeah. like her career like she has a successful career she's mm-hmm. been working for it for so long she doesn't need this anymore she doesn't right. need to like go down this true crime path and like investigate Ghostface and talk about all these stories anymore like she's okay without it so it's kind of it's kind of nice having her 
like, I don't know, not take a back seat, but just be a little bit more restrained because it feels like that's kind of what it would be. I don't, I don't know. I, it's, it's gotta be a tough place to be in. It's like, you have to have the legacy characters, but you also want to like empower your new cast and like take it in a new direction. Like that's what you have to do. So, but like, what do you do with them? That's the legacy equal tightrope that so many of them fail to fail Mm -hmm. to get that balance. Right. Like it's such a tenuous balance. And this movie I think hits it just right. Now I wonder if they're going to be able to maintain that balance going forward because it is such a tightrope act. I think the next one is really going to be crucial. Like what they do with it. Like this one was kind of like testing the waters a little bit about Mm -hmm. like how, how can we like pull this back, but still have them, but like not Mm -hmm. have them like, be super crucial so yeah i didn't hate it 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 feels like if if gail comes back and that well when gail comes back in the next movie there's not much for her to do except get the cotton weary treatment like i see her coming back for the opening scene and being like ah shit and then her killing which i don't really want to see um I like your idea, Rachel, is maybe she's just like a character you see in your TV screen for a few minutes. Like maybe she gets like a talking head interview in terms of like the legacy of Woodsboro. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, But here, like she gets a couple funny moments. I think Courtney Cox, we forget how good of a comedic actor she is um, because she does have some even after Dewey's death, like some really. And then she gets like a really punchy one, like, you know, like you killed my best friend. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, and there's a Which real was heart crucial. It. I think mm-hmm. like it that gives, one killed me a little. Yeah, yeah, it, like it gives Dewey's death like uh, it gives us closure. Like their mm-hmm. relationship doesn't have closure, but it gives us as an audience closure no. to know that like her love for him was never in question. Yeah, like yes, they didn't leave on like the best terms or whatever, and they might not have been in the best place, but like that love was there, and I yeah. think that that was important her character as well as his to like know that that existed and know that she takes his death so seriously so gail feels a part of this one to remind everyone how badass like she's like sydney's hype man you know she's like hey this is the og right here like that feels like her main role in this movie yeah. there's it's almost there's almost an audience surrogate moment where she comes flying out of the hospital after mm-hmm. sam and uh and Sydney, where she's like, "Listen here, new girl," and I'm like, yeah. "Oh, you're you're the audience right now. Yeah, we don't like this new girl mm-hmm. and her new ideas taking the franchise mm-hmm. away from the stalwarts. How dare you, sir, yeah. ma'am?" Yeah, I, well, I think uh, having her on TV would be the best thing for the the next one. And it would be mm-hmm. perfect to have her interviewing Kirby now that we got confirmation that Kirby's still alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want more more Hayden Panettiere, please and thank yeah. you. Never a bad thing. More no. Kirby would be fine. Kirby and Mindy interacting would be a lot of fun, I think. I I would give at least two of my digits to, to see that <laughs> in the movie. Maybe they, can, um, maybe they can date in the next movie. Possibly. Meet on the you're you're breaking my brain right now, Andrew. <laughs> Stop it. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of the old girl, let's talk about Sidney Prescott in this movie. Um, I feel like this is a real passing of the torch movie for that would allow Sydney closure, allow her to move on. Like I said this before this movie came out, I would have thought I would have loved if the movie started with her answering the phone, 
And they're like, oh, it's happening again in Woodsboro. And she's like, that's cool. Uh, it's taco night here. And I'm good with this. And then she just pours herself a nice bottle of light or a nice glass of wine and reads a novel on her front porch. And it's like, ah, you wacky kids. And Patrick Dempsey comes out and sits down next to her. And yes. it's a lovely moment. Give me that. Like, I'm fine. I'm okay if this is it for Sydney. I do think she is like the it's a proper send off. And I think she's the best final girl in slasher history. I said it. I'd put her above Laurie Strode. Yep. Especially the Laurie Strode we're getting in the David Gordon Green movies. Um, Well, you're not a fan of that, Mike? Yeah, I'm not a fan of like 40 years, after 40 years, never moving on. Like, I just, no, I'm not. It says a, it's a damaging Mike, That's it's a about trauma. <laughs> Look, as a as a mental health professional and as someone who deals with this shit all day, I am very happy if not every movie is explicitly about trauma going forward. It's okay. Well, if, if people actually went to therapy, they wouldn't need to, you know, mm-hmm. get all their traumatic feelings out in, in the movies yeah. that they make. So yeah. Well, I mean, but, that's what brings Sydney back, though. It's not It's not that it's happening again and she's like, oh, I have to go take care of it. It's Dewey. Yeah, exactly. Like, she goes back because her friend died and yeah. she knows that her other friend is there and is grieving. So I do think that that's important because I think she is in a place to be like, mm-hmm. I'm good. I moved away. Yeah. My family's safe. Like, this isn't clearly this isn't about me because they're attacking Woodsboro, not me. Right. So, like, I, you know, the fact that she came back, it it wasn't. It wasn't Ghostface. It was that her friend needed her and her friend died. So, I, yeah, the next one, it's, I don't know. I have, I have a hard time believing she'll be in it, but I guess we'll right. see. And, I mean, the only way, I, and again, the only thing that would get her back is if they kill off Gail, which, again, mm-hmm. I don't really want. And yeah, I guess so annoying, though. Like, right? if that's, they, they keep bringing her back by killing off people. Like, mm-hmm. just <laughs> make a choice. Pick a lane. By the Thank ninth you, installment, yeah. they're like, that woman used to bag my groceries at, when I was in high school. How dare you? The Jack Slater four treatment. Yeah. I wonder if they, uh, that was asked, my favorite second cousin. <laughs> I wonder if they asked Patrick Dempsey to come back at all for this one. Cause we get confirmation that like he's, the, yeah. he's the, the husband, spouse, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They probably didn't even ask him. It's like, yeah, we don't need but, to see him again. Yeah. No, we can name drop it. That'll be enough for those psycho fans. Maybe they'll ask him back for the next one, though. Who knows? I mean, it's a check, right? I mean, they, they didn't have like a gigantic budget. And I'm, even for a day, I'm sure Patrick Dempsey charges a, a hefty penny. Pretty so like, hefty. Do, we really, need, do yeah. we really need to spend that? Yeah. Now just mentioning. Yeah. The fans Here's the thing. Know. They probably could have FaceTimed him and like cut that rate in half. <laughs> yeah. Just just like Mark Frost <laughs> in Twin Peaks, The Return. Just, just Skype him in. That's fine. That works. It, it, it's... Serve their purpose. Vincent DeFronio and Sinister just hopping on Skype for a quick five minutes. <laughs> yes. Wesley Snipes in uh, What We Do in the Shadows. What We Do in the Shadows, yes. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, Literally like, phoning in a performance. Yeah. I love like, you know, Sydney remains a badass. She remains resourceful. Yes. She's like, ah, I'm tracking her car. You know, like you just get these new levels of her. Um, and I just think she's like, Nev Campbell is so comfortable in this role. The one thing I wanted to ask was there's an article that came out on Vice about our horror, like why are Scream Queens all of a sudden so conservative? And there's a, I put a link to it here. Um, the comment, uh, the little quote I pulled up was like be, from the article from Tom George. Um, because the moment she received, because the moment she receives a call from her old friend Dewey, 
letting her know there's another mass killer tormenting a new gen of A24 horror-loving letterbox, pro-using troubled teens of Woodsboro. Her demeanor changes entirely. Do you have a gun, asked Dewey. I'm Sydney Prescott. She scoffs. Of course I have a gun. It's a throwaway line that's manufactured for the franchise's fans to tweet along with the words, oh my god, Slay Queen, but it marks a significant change for Sydney, a character who wants to fight the conservative ideals often held to the final girl of horror movies. I don't think it's a poor article. I know a lot of people trashed it. I think it's a pretty good article that raises decent points, even if I disagree strongly with them. You see it in the wording, like he's very much setting up two different dichotomies without acknowledging that Sydney was one of those kind of a 24 horror loving letterbox pro using 1996 kids and i don't think you know like you see throughout all the movies like sydney is pretty fucking good with a gun in all of the movies like i think sydney actually gets off a little bit she gets a little bit too murder happy you know in some of these movies you know she she likes she, she likes to spill blood i'm saying by the fourth movie she is you know, gets off a little. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but do we agree with this sentiment? I personally don't. No. No. Nah. <laughs> sorry, Tom George. Whoever it's sorry, just Tom like, George. I mean, just because she has a gun, therefore mm-hmm. she's conservative. Like, this is a person who has yeah. literally yeah. been attacked <laughs> yeah. on yes. and off for decades. Like, I'm sorry. Like, she's she has a family now. Like, she's going mm-hmm. to do whatever is in her power to protect herself and her family. And like, Mm -hmm. it makes sense. Like she, you know, if they like, okay. So I, you know, that scene in uh, cult of Chucky where Alex Vincent has like that whole like cabin full of guns. Mm -hmm. Like if it was something like that, maybe, but something tells me like, she just has like one that she keeps in a lock box somewhere safe, you know, to like, if she needs it, like, if Sydney Prescott came out and said this new attack in Woodsboro is a false flag operation, all right, then maybe <laughs> then it was Antifa is all along. Story, you know, no, it's the because there's a big difference between Sydney in this movie and Laurie Strode in mm-hmm. the David Gordon Green Halloween series. Like that, I would say yes, that is a definite turn into like a conservative kind of gun-toting backwards sort of ideology. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is. Uh, like Reg said, she's a survivor. She's doing what she needs to do to protect herself and those closest to her. And I think there's a big difference between gun nuts and people who reluctantly have one because they fear that they may need it. This is a Sydney that's protecting herself, not a Sydney that is like running towards danger, not a Sydney that is. Yeah. She says like in the movie, like, look, he's not going to, they're not going to stop until they're put down. Like, she knows that she can't just run away from this danger, so she has to confront it head on. And I don't think that has anything to do with being liberal or conservative. I just think that has to do with our own our own will to our, basically to our self-preservation more than anything else. Well, she's not the Sydney anymore that's, like, run away and, like, hiding, mm-hmm. you know, in the cabins with her dog anymore. Like, she's not, like, she's she's moved on. She's, like, processed and dealt with her trauma for lack of a better word Mm -hmm. and she has 
Like she's living her life. Like she's married. Oh. She's running down the boardwalk with, mm-hmm. you know, her kids and like she's out there and not letting that rule her life anymore. Mm-hmm. So there's something like I don't know. She's being proactive and empowering her. And she's not afraid of the world where I think a lot of people like own a lot of guns because they're, you know, afraid of like what could happen. And it's like, she's not afraid of the world. Like she just knows that like, yeah, this has been happening for decades Mm -hmm. of my life. Like it could happen again. She's just being prepared. I think there's a difference. Agree with all of that. Yeah, absolutely. So to me, this is not a character that is, is, to your point by scream four she's moved on like why do things happen in scream four they happen because she returned to woodsboro to promote a book right not because she was like some damaged character and here she's literally going out for her morning run with her two kids in tow just kind of enjoying like a bright sunlit day out in broad daylight it's nothing to do with her hiding away afraid from the world or embracing any sort of like modern day conservatism. So the ending of scream three is such a great closure on Sydney's trauma where Mm -hmm. the doors open and it, she lingers on it and then she turns and leaves it open. Yep. Like she's decided not to live her life in fear anymore. And that characterization has carried through into both of the other scream movies that she's appeared in. And I, I think it's phenomenal. And I think it's so yeah. great that that Nev Campbell has portrayed that and embraced that mm-hmm. characterization going forward. I think it's fantastic. It just reminded me of um, the ghost of her mom, though, which is always funny. Which is not so good. <laughs> which is not one Agreed. of the... Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. I, do, I didn't mention this about Gail. Like, the other thing with Scream 3 is Gail does crack a joke on air. Like, if I ever get bangs again... You know, I really do like that they <laughs> threw that in that was, there. So. That was actually Courtney Cox's idea to have that mm-hmm. line in there, which is yeah. pretty funny. The, the two enduring legacies of Scream 3 in a negative will be Courtney Cox's bangs <laughs> and uh, Sydney Prescott, ghost mom in the movie. So just, yeah. Besides that fun movie, it is a fun live action Scooby-Doo movie. I will die on that hill. Uh all right, moving on. We I think we've gotten to all the characters we want to talk about. Is there anything I'm missing there? We I think we're good. I think we're good. I think we're good. Let's talk about the rules because what is a screen movie if there aren't rules that must be adhered to? And this movie, uh, didn't he? I'm sorry. In this movie, Dewey gives us the rules that they need to be followed. And I was thinking about them. I'm like. Does Scream as a franchise actually follow the rules that Dewey has laid out? So number one, never trust the love interest. Does Scream as a series follow these rules? Not all the time. Not really. These aren't hard and fast rules, I think. But I, here's the thing. There's eight stab movies. Mm-hmm. So there's like twice mm-hmm. as many stab movies. So who knows? The the other half of the stab movies, the killer is probably the love interest, right? So, yeah. But like... If I if I remember correctly, the original killer in Scream Two was the love interest, was Jerry O'Connell's Derek, and then the script the script leaked and they changed it to Mickey, mm-hmm. gotcha. which I thought was pretty effective. And then I think I remember Mark being something of a red herring, yeah, in Scream Three at least briefly. There's and then, so many conflicting stories about the real killer in Scream Two. Like Williamson has said, it's always who it was supposed to be. 
and I just wrote a bunch of different endings to throw people off the scent. Mm. So I think it was the roommate was one of the purported, purported um, killers. The original version of Scream 3, it was going to be Stu Mocker returning and right. then kind of almost having like a cultist following. Um, so it's never, you know, I don't remember it being Derek mentioned in the second movie, but I could be wrong. Okay. And and I could be completely because I'm just going off the dome and what I remember. So the memory is not as good as it used to be, unfortunately. Uh, but then Kirby's love interest was one of the killers in Scream 4. So. Mm-hmm. And it, it says never trust them. It doesn't say it's always the love. So like it's yeah. like it is fair to say like maybe you should look at these people. <laughs> like, Basically, that's... it's the trust no one. I guess of well, this yeah, franchise. Maybe. that's like Stone Cold Steve Austin saying DTA don't trust anybody. I mean, then it's kind of like a too broad of a you know. Yeah, yeah. sure. Looking at like part one, it's Billy. Obviously, part two, it is. Um, mrs loomis part three yeah i don't know I, I really felt like only the first one was the one with like the love interest is explicitly the killer i guess five now too so we can add that to the mix second rule the killer's motives are always connected to something in the past yeah i would agree on that one yeah that one i mean technically up. everything is connected to the past so again just like <laughs> Honestly, it's one of the annoying things. It's one of the things that kind of bugs me about the franchise is mm-hmm. by the third one, they're like bending over backwards to try yeah. to get the motivations to fit oh, yeah. Yeah. into the first movie. Like it's, mm-hmm. And then four kind of, I think, writes the shit back, which is one of the reasons I really like mm-hmm. four. And then I think this movie does a really good job of, of tying yeah. that back. But yeah, all the motives ultimately kind of tie back to the original film in some way or another. Four was the only one I don't know if that holds up with Jill. Th- like her motive is like I want to be famous, but she wants yep. to be famous the exact same way her cousin did in the original. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. still Woodsboro. It's still like the mm-hmm. same sphere. It's not happening sure. in like Miami or something. Some ghost face is just attacking some other like nightclub or yeah. something. Like it's always like revolving now. around. I do too, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's not somebody like taking Ghostface's identity and doing something completely different. Like it is connected. So, mm-hmm. yes. Okay. I'll buy it. All right. I'll buy it. So, I think that out of the three rules, I think the second one is the one that most fits. You have Billy's mother in the second movie, obviously, Billy in the first, and Roman being, Roman. you know, again, <laughs> just people are what so the angry fuck? about Roman. I, I don't like Roman. I'm sorry. <laughs> I really don't. Sorry, Scott Foley, but eat shit. Um, <laughs> I like his hair in that one. There, there's so many things not to like about. I mean, it was too. Who am I to make fun of? My hair is terrible. I cannot make fun of anybody's hair. So, Um, last rule: the first victim always has a friend group that the victim is a part of. Casey Becker and Steve. Casey dated Stumacher, so that checks. Mm -hmm. Phil and Maureen in the second movie, the two victims at the movie theater. They're mm-hmm. students at the school, but is there any evidence they're friends with Mrs. Loomis or Mickey? I don't think so. I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen mm-hmm. the second one, so I can't say that, speak to that for sure. Yeah. Cotton Weary. I mean, he's not a part of the friend group, but he's connected to the original group based but is on. Is he connected to Roman? No. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. He's I mean he's, he's connected, connected to, to the Sydney. group because he was banging Sydney's mom. Right. Yeah. Connected to Sydney's mom at the crotch. Hey oh leaving that one God. in. Sorry. 
<laughs> now getting slappy. Um, <laughs> Jenny and Marnie in the fourth movie, it's probably a pretty safe bet they're friends with either Jill and or Charlie. Yeah, I think they like mentioned something about it briefly, but mm-hmm. again, we've got plot to get to, so let's get to it. Yeah, yeah. let's get to it. And then Dirtbag Kyle Gowner is the hookup of Liv, and like Andrew, like you pointed out, the cousin of, or the niece, new nephew of... Of Stu, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they made, it's like a throwaway I, I, line. I also, up, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I forgot to mention this earlier. One Another thing I liked about his character is it kind of almost sets him up like a cotton character, like that mm-hmm. big red herring. But I love that they just like, it's like they set it up and like get rid of it really fast just to be like, oh, you think it's going to be? Oh, no, not doing mm-hmm. that. Like, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was kind time, of like, yeah. like a really w- clever way to like wink at the audience a little mm-hmm. bit. So like, I don't know. He got a lot of shit for only being in it for like five minutes, but I think it was actually like really clever. That how they- how'd you use those five minutes? And I thought he was yeah. great for the few minutes he was in, you know, I yeah. thought it was fun. Something sure. you don't see in the film, but they talk about a little in the special features is uh, his tattoos are all like homages to like other, like people in the franchise and other horror movies. I hmm. I wrote a couple of them down, but now I'm not please share. Sure. He's he's got like what WC and then the year mm-hmm. of Craven's birth tattooed on his, on his neck. neck. Mm-hmm. He's got like a bird on his arm that like has That's the like, like scarring coloring and had a Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. The, the oh. knife from the Scream movies is tattooed on there as well. And there's a bunch of others. Oh, he didn't mention. Yeah, <laughs> then there's a like a Jason uh, hockey mask on his arm. Like you don't really get mm-hmm. to see it that much because obviously he's not in the movie that often. But yeah. You kind of have to like be really quick with the pause button. Yeah. Maybe maybe go frame by frame to catch a lot of those. But yeah, his, apparently his body is covered in Easter eggs. I like that. I like that. I like, you know, before we we'll do a couple of other Easter eggs really quick, just Matthew Lillard's voice is the voice of the party mm-hmm. saying nice house. Nice house. <laughs> He's also the voice of a uh, chrome face from mm-hmm. face that you see in like the YouTube. Oh, that's, that's right. Cool. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Drew Barrymore is the voice of the principal. Yeah, I'm glad. In the oh, that's fun. School yeah. scene. Nice to know that you mentioned an Andrew Kirby is still alive. Mm-hmm. In the YouTube clip mm-hmm. with uh, the YouTubers with Dead Meat with mm-hmm. James and Chelsea, you see like, on the side there's a clip that says uh, "interview with Kirby." Yep. Yeah, which is very cool. And then All the right. ghosts at the party um, when they say "for West" at the at the house party. Yeah. All those voices, mm-hmm. like voices of tons of people who had something to do with the franchise up until now. That's awesome. So moving on from the rules and more of this idea of like this movie in terms of its theme is focusing on like requels in particular or picking up like a longstanding franchise and moving in a new direction with it. The character of Mindy says you can't just reboot a franchise anymore and it name checks Black Christmas, Flatliners, and Child's Play specifically. Your beloved but Child's Play. <laughs> I really like the Child's Play remake. I know. We, we had a me. whole conversation about it. Don't come at me, bro. I think it's <laughs> fucking great. Um, but you also, like, you can't just do something new or the internet will go crazy. Uh, and it says in terms of, like, what, where we're at right now, it talks about Halloween, Saw, Terminator, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Star Wars. And again, like, you know, not all of those movies or those attempts have been successful. Like the Terminator requel mm-hmm. flopped, like flopped. Um, 
I guess Ghostbusters did okay, but like it's the getting Saw, a sequel. They're get, yeah, yeah, they're doing another one. The what was it? Saw it was just not called Jigsaw, but Saw, Spiral. The book of, Spiral, the book from the Book of Saw. Yeah. They're but doing that. They're, they're doing another one. Are they? are they really? I mean, they probably cost eighty bucks to make. I mean. <laughs> You know, like it doesn't have to go. They gotta get to ten. They're yeah. at like nine right now. Are you kidding me? They're go- they're gonna do ten. They're, That'll be who another. Who leaves series. a franchise hanging at nine? <laughs> That'll be another series that gets to thirteen movies before Friday the Thirteenth does. Probably. Yeah. Like they're just gonna churn them out. How do you all feel about this idea of like requels versus straight up sequels or remakes? Does it feel accurate? and how they're doing it here and how does the movie do i think we have a general idea of how you feel about it but how does like scream do in terms of following the own its own template it explicitly states through mindy here i think that when it works it works Mm -hmm. and i get why franchises do this because sometimes choices are made that you look back on and you're like well that was weird And you know what? Maybe we just don't want to go down that road or continue that storyline. And it makes sense. Like when it does work, it works really great. And audiences have changed a lot over the last. I mean, you think about when some of these franchises started, like we, you know, started at the beginning or whatever, but there's so many people that didn't get into it then, or there's so many people that weren't even born then. So it makes sense why, studios want to do this because ip is everything right like why do you want to give up on it if you can reboot it you see the success of it was i wouldn't obviously consider it a requel but a remake but you look at it like that property those movies were gigantic say what you want about the second one but that Mm -hmm. first one was just a cash machine it was a not only a cultural touchstone at the time like people who don't normally talk about horror or go see horror yeah fell in love with that movie yeah that's the first horror movie i saw in a theater mm-hmm. oh dang see yeah. that's incredible and here you are yeah. so like i don't know like the fact that like it, when it works it does work and there is a reason and especially for you know franchises that have been going on for 30 years 40 years like i get why they want to do it it's just how they do it i think sometimes Mm-hmm. Some it's like I don't know. To me, it always feels like okay. Does this studio want to do this, mm-hmm. or do, does this batch of creators want to do this? Yeah. Because if like they're just doing it for money, it never seems to really work. If right. you've got a good team that wants to do it because they actually are invested in the story and the narrative and the people behind it, like then it does seem to work a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Not always, and maybe that's again me being just like a starry eyed like idealist but like i i like to think that a lot of the times it works that way. I don't mm-hmm. know. we talked about this when we did cult of chucky and uh curse of chucky you can walk into cult of chucky which i think acts as a really good soft reboot of the series watch that without having seen the five movies before it and follow along pretty well but there's no way to like put on cult of chucky which is getting into like six previous movies of lore and trying to tie it all together and have Mm -hmm. any flipping idea what's going on. Like I put it on and I had already seen a couple of the movies and I'm like, I am lost right now. Um, I I can understand the appeal. Like you can watch 2018's Halloween 
and not have seen John Carpenter's and enjoy it like as a slasher movie. You know, you enjoy it more if you know the history behind it, but you get a pretty good idea of who everybody is and why they're acting like they do. Um, it's really hard to do that when you're the eighth movie in a long-standing series and you're trying to bring in new people. Do you feel like you can watch this movie stand? If you, I think as long as you see Scream One, you're fine going into this. But could you, like, as a new horror fan, watch just this movie and feel like you're able to follow along with it, or would you feel like ah, it's missing way too much? I don't get it. I I feel like that cuts both ways because mm-hmm. I think on one hand, I think the movie does a very good job of choreographing and pointing out the things that connect mm-hmm. like oh this this is you're this guy from it but if you if you don't have at least a passing familiarity with that at least on some level then mm-hmm. you might it's it would be pretty easy to get lost in the weeds like mm-hmm. i was watching scream four a while back and my my wife kind of walked in on the end of me watching it and she asked me a question and i said what do you mean it, it's something about the killer i was like what do you mean she goes well mm-hmm. isn't how do they do another movie if, if he dies in this one? I was like, no, this, this movie is not about the killer. The killer is, do you not know the scream franchise? And she goes, no, this is the only scream movie I've ever seen is like the last half of four. And I was like, Oh, I'm, we're gonna, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to like fix this here. Cause Oh boy. <laughs> but, but I mean, that's, that, that's kind of, you know, like she had no clue what was going on with any of it. She just kind of based on what she knew of other slashers, was kind of picking up on it. And I, I feel like to some degree, she might've been equally lost if she had tried to, to sit with scream 22 for mm-hmm. the same reason. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I think this one uh, name drops Billy and Stu and like has enough exposition that you don't really need to have seen. You definitely don't, don't need to see the ones in between to just understand that this has been happening for a while. Uh, but yeah, I think this one, you get enough of the backstory of like Billy and Stu killed people and these people are, a franchise was made out of the, the death. People love the movies. These people mm-hmm. are killing people because they love the movie. I think, yeah, I think you could get a general idea of what's going on without having seen the other ones. That's the trick, right? Like, I don't envy these writers for these big films at all. Because, like, the way you have to, like, all right, we got to pay tribute to the fans. And, like, we got to pay tribute to the original. But also, like, write it so, like, in case nobody's seen those, that it still makes sense. Like, and, oh, and it's got to be a good story. And it's got to be good character development. Like, God, like, just, like, balancing all Mm -hmm. of those things together and having it feel natural and feel like it's not forced in there has really got to be just an incredible feat so like anytime that a film even comes close to succeeding and like hitting all those marks like my hat's off to these writers because that's got to be such an incredibly difficult place to be yeah and scream i think is a like a young enough franchise that i don't think a full reboot would have worked at all when Mm. well obviously it was it's a bad example, but um, some of the ones that have been rebooted, I'm thinking of uh, Jackie or Haley as Freddy Krueger, I feel like that franchise mm-hmm. is significantly older than Scream, so you could kind of get away with like people not knowing the original, but I think Scream is still 
fairly. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, now it's 20 something years, but I think it's, we're not at the point where they could just fully reboot the franchise yet. There's a reason why there's not a follow up to the 2010 Nightmare on Elm Street movie, although it's, it's bizarre to me. There are people out there where, like, Jackie O'Haley is there, Freddy Krueger. It's the Freddy Krueger you see in that game. Um, what is it? Dead Dead by, by Dawn? Yeah. Mm. Um, that's the Freddy Krueger that you download, not Robert Englund's. Um, he, that was, I feel so bad. I love him as an actor, but that. There was no yeah. way that would have ever gone. It was an impossible <laughs> yeah. task. It was yeah. an absolutely. And I think he was as good of a choice as you possibly could make for no. something like that. Like it wasn't a matter of poor casting, but. Oh, I, I remember thinking if anyone can pull it off, it's him. And then I yeah. saw that movie and I was like, no, Oof. no, that just <laughs> no reminded me I should be watching the original movie. That's all that did. Yeah. I think with, with the scream requel, what it does is a requel, which I really like is and I don't mean to pick on the 2018 Halloween movie or Halloween Ends which I do like both of those movies I especially like Halloween Ends if you excise all the hospital stuff and I do enjoy kills. both of them but what they do kills. is Halloween, they, kills. Halloween, Halloween kills. kills I'm sorry Halloween kills that's right sorry um what Might I like have a about sneak peek of ends. I got a very sneak peek I do like the like Jamie Lee Curtis promoting the movie going, this one's going to enrage the fans. I'm like, that doesn't make me want to see it. I don't want to walk out of a theater angry, you know, it makes me want to see it. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> um, with Halloween and Halloween kills, you took nine movies worth of material and threw them out the window and said, we're only using this, which feels like a cheat. And it also feels like if you're a fan of the, you know, it feels a little bit like if you're a fan of those other movies and I know like Jerry, who used to be the co-host on the show, Halloween forest is like personal favorite. It's the one he will watch the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, Oh, well that movie doesn't really count anymore. And yes, it still exists. It's all like everybody's copy got burned, but it still as a fan feels a little bit like, well, what was wrong with this one? Um, and I like that in this movie, is able to incorporate everything that has come before it, even having, you know, Randy's sister in the movie, Martha, who's only in three for like a brief moment, but it's nice to know that a, you know, she exists still and be like her offspring are two of the most important parts of this movie. I do like how it brings all that together. Yeah. I, and I, yeah. I, I, oh, go ahead. Andrew. No, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, I, again, with the, like, I guess nightmare and, um, Friday the 13th there's they've been gone for going on for so long and there's so many injuries I feel mm-hmm. like the writers kind of have no choice like this I don't see a way where you could honor everything that happened in those yeah. like messy messy franchises so that's fair something that's a had fair to point. be cut out at some point fair <laughs> point I feel like there it was like a like a a trend shift about like how these kind of movies are viewed. Like you think about those like Friday the Thirteenth sequels and like the Halloween sequels. Like they were, I don't think they were being looked at the way that sequels are looked at now. Like they were just looking for like fun cash grabs, kind Mm -hmm. of right. Like they weren't like, all right, this is going to be a legacy franchise, and like this is how we're going to do. Like it was like they were just all over the place, and they were kind of treated with sort of like, I don't know, just a a casualness that we don't see anymore because 
the financial stakes have gotten so incredibly high Yeah, where it's, and it's just a different time. I think, I think that the eighties and the nineties were a time where like cash and cocaine was just flying mm-hmm. a little bit differently. Whereas now like all the implications of the weight of this franchise and what, I mean, you see it with like Marvel, right? Like what did they just announce? They announced they have the whole thing planned out till 2032, mm-hmm. like 10 years. years. Oh my God. And so it's like, it's, so the tired. weight of what these films are has shifted dramatically. So these sequels are treated differently now. So yeah. the older franchises, it's like, yeah, you can't, you, what are you going to do with those? So you have mm-hmm. to like just either toss them or, you know, kind of casually ignore mm-hmm. them or whatever. Yeah. It'll, it'll the... be interesting to see. No, it's just oh, just that. It'll be the... interesting to see like, like new franchises that start out if there are any like how they kind of handle their sequels and if they're planning them out a little bit different well, i think the a quiet place three has been officially announced and i think it's yeah. titled like a quiet place day one so they're like the two movies in and they're already stepping backwards like they're already doing a prequel and there's only two movies in the series we gotta get krasinski back dang it mm-hmm. <laughs> we killed him off in the first one damn it why did we do that I, I don't know. For me, the the idea, because Rachel, you said absolutely, IP is king in Hollywood right now. That's the whole reason that my other podcast exists, Disenfranchise. That's why it's there, is because there's all these franchises that, you know, get started and then go nowhere. Um, because Hollywood just, and it seems like, you know, the whole Hollywood doesn't have original ideas anymore, which, and look at the horror crop this year, and you're, you laugh at that statement, because there's still good stuff out there it's just the audiences now are so conditioned to well, what's the next big thing what's the next big franchise and even half of those they don't care about because so often it's done as a cash grab um so i mean i think what this movie does very well is it it walks that tightrope very well these are the these are the things you love about this franchise it, they, you boil it down to basic conceits what is it that makes this franchise stand out what is this franchise saying? What is it commenting on? Is it possible to update that in a way that still feels faithful and true to the original conceit while bringing honor to the cast and the creatives behind that original endeavor? Um, and I think having directors that are and, and writers that love the first film that got into filmmaking in part because of that first film is a really great way to pay that honor forward. But so often, most of the, and I think what makes this successful versus so many of the other ones is the love's not there. Like part of the reason why I think, you know, to use another requel example, uh, The Force Awakens works so well is because JJ is a huge Star Wars nerd, admittedly a huge Star Wars nerd. And so that works well. Yes, he's just retelling A New Hope over again with new characters, but it works because he knows what that franchise is about and he knows what makes it tick and he knows what makes it good. Um, did, did rise of Skywalker kind of ruin a lot of that? Sure. But you know, that, that first one is, is a, is a good attempt and it's good because you, the people behind the scenes know what makes that franchise good. I think that's a nice segue into the next subject here. And I think Rachel, you put it really well when you said there was a time 20, 30 years ago where as fans, we didn't watch movies with the same level of closeness or consideration that we do with each passing installment. It was like, here's the next one, go see it. And that's what audiences did. Like, Oh, I like Jason Voorhees. I'm going to go see Jason Friday, the 13th part three. And 
fans weren't asking like, wait a minute, last movie he had hair and a beard and was wearing a sack over his head. And now like in the next movie, he's completely bald. And also nobody knew he was alive. And yet he's like chasing down characters and flashbacks, like what's going on here. And when part four came out, no one said, wait a minute, how do part two, three, and four all take place over one long weekend. And yet, Somehow, like, Rob has been hunting Jason for the murder of his sisters, which happened on Friday, and he's been hunting down Jason for years. That doesn't make sense. Like, that's not how we watched movies. And now, because, A, you couldn't watch, even with home video, movies cost, you really weren't buying them. You were renting them and then bringing them back and getting the next one. Like, you weren't amassing this massive fiscal collection. It was also not the same level of like scholarship or even just internet writing where you could dive into the minutiae on the internet in general. Yeah. Like you can bitch to your friends about it, but where Mm -hmm. does it go, you know, further than that? Like in 1994, where did it, or well, actually Mm -hmm. a little earlier than that, like where did it go in, you know, 1990 outside of your friend group? Nowhere. Didn't go (laughs) anywhere. But now you can scream all over the internet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So. Now you have franchises that literally hire people to say, you are going to be the keeper of chronology. Like you're going to be the person that makes sure that there's nothing is going to contradict. And I think Daniel Farron's had that role with like Halloween six. Like he actually had a book he presented to dimension saying, here are all the, the timelines of inconsistencies. Like he was like keeping a Bible on that shit. And that was 30 years ago now you have like people get hired specifically to do that and part of it is in this movie has a lot to say about fandom and in particular like toxic fandom studios i think are too focused on what fan reaction is going to be to a point where it comes off as catering and condescending and it's like we're going to deliver like a yas queen moment rather than tell the best story we can and it kind of sucks Agreed. It was that was the thing that pissed me off the most about the Ghostbusters Afterlife mm-hmm. was it it felt very pandering and very condescending to the fans of the franchises. Like, hey, we did this all for you, and you're very special for liking Ghostbusters, and isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. Um, and Ghostbusters fans ate that up. Yeah, and they're getting a sequel now. So, you know, I, I guess it worked, but. Like I would, I would rather you tell me a good story than, you know, try to condescend and pander Mm -hmm. to me. Like, I don't like fan service for that reason, which is why I was kind of wary walking into this movie is because for all I knew, this was going Mm -hmm. to just be another retread of Ghostbusters Afterlife. And I didn't want that. And thankfully it's not. Thankfully there's, you know, a goodly amount Mm -hmm. of intelligence behind a lot of these references. And it's not just fan service for its own sake, but you're actually trying to say something. You're actually making a statement, which I appreciate. Just want to go on the record and say I cried uh, at Ghostbusters Afterlife. I'm, I honestly, Andrew, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I did not. I'm sorry. <laughs> Andrew, I'm, I'm with you. I, sorry. I thought it was. I looked I at it as it. like I don't know. You know when you go to like Universal Studios or whatever, and you go on those like rides, and it's yes. kind of like all of like the greatest hits from your mm-hmm. favorite like movie. Like that's what I felt like Ghostbusters Afterlife was, and I was. The- the I proton was, pack was gets a that. hero shot, though. Like the proton pack gets a hero shot. Like whatever, those kids were cute. <laughs> All right, I, I, I am the asshole here, and I will I will accept that burden with pride and glad gratitude. Thank you. 
Oh, I think to your point, I mean, like, I, I don't think anyone in this in this room right now would fall under like the toxic fandom category. But no. what you get is this like section of fans, and to be fair, they usually look like me. Um, you know, <laughs> white, <me. laughs> overweight, bearded, a bit sloppy. <laughs> And it moves where I am cute, cuddly, and frankly, fucking hysterical. Like, I don't Me think too. people realize how funny I am. Uh, anyway. Um, in humble. In humble. <laughs> I'm the most humble person and, uh, you'll ever meet. Gosh. So um, my mom thinks I'm handsome, and that's all that matters. Um, the fan reactions, like, move way past the point of criticism or just like, I didn't like it. I'm going to move on now to being like really hateful and vitriolic and, and like really damaging the whole, like this movie ruined my childhood crowd. Like, no, Ugh. your mom didn't hug you enough. Your dad, your dad was playing, you know, hide the pepperoni with the secretary. That is what ruined your childhood. Not that ghostbusters had four women in it in 2016. Like that had nothing to do with the ruining fact, your childhood. The fact that your parents provided enough neglect that the only attention you got was from, you know, fault Television. fictional characters on a TV yes. show or something. Mm-hmm. You know, that I yep. mean, because ultimately what I what I think and this is my own diagnosis. This is toxic fandom is something that I talk about all the time on disenfranchised. Just the idea and the notion that people have invested so much of their life and their time and their effort and their money and their mm-hmm. identity into these fictional characters that anything that deviates from what they have accepted as the norm is literally a personal attack on them. They can't see any distinction between this is a thing that I enjoy and I like to go see, but other people may not like it to this thing is the most important thing in my life. It defines who I am, which is, that's where the toxicity stems from. Exactly. And that is the fount from which all that toxicity spews. And if it's not only that, if it, moves away from characters they see themselves in. Like they can make a brilliant movie that honors what they did before. But you know, again, it's usually if you're moving away from a cisgendered white heterosexual male out of the lead role, which, you know, like if they never made a movie with a white dude in it again, I would have thousands of movies with people that look like me. Yep. Um, I would not be able to watch all of them in my lifetime. Like I'm good. It's okay to move on a little bit, but you see like the reaction to like, um, Ray after the Last Jedi, you know, and like who would have thought, like with Max Landis, like I love John Landis, but who would have thought, like the second biggest disaster he created was the Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. you know, like it's really Max, like him and his whole like, oh, she's a Mary Sue, or these review bombs that come out, like attacks getting way too personal and ugly, and review mm-hmm. bombing before, like before Miss Marvel had even come out, it was getting like zero stars on things like Rotten Tomatoes uh, from people that had no chance of seeing the movie to the point they had to change their format. Um, And it's all like, it's, it's just like, it's weird. Even when they get what they want, like you get, you know, God, the Snyder bros, even when they get what they want, the Snyder cut, like that's not enough. It's like, okay, we've given you what you want. Can we please move on? He's like, well, no, now we want to restore the whole Snyder. It's like, that wasn't a thing. Like it wasn't going to happen. Um, They're never happy. And it's like, at a certain point, you can no longer indulge children because Mm. if you give them what they want, 
they will only want more of it and they know they can get it if they stomp their feet and scream and cry loud, long and loud enough. Just like that great parable of our time, if you give a mouse a cookie, if you give a Snyder bro a Snyder mm-hmm. cut, he will want to restore the Snyderverse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so, it's, I've never understood this. Like to me, like every film that gets made, you know, outside a handful of a small, you know, a small handful, I guess. It's it's a miracle. Like there's so many moving parts. There's so many people behind the scenes. Like every movie that gets made is, you know, it takes a village, as they say. And I think that that gets lost a lot of the time. And yes, sometimes there are too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, you know, the most recent one being, you know, Morbius. But we don't have to go down that rabbit hole again, Mike. I know we've been there before. Still haven't seen it. But again, <laughs> but, uh, I don't need the, someone you know, to kick me in the face to know that I wouldn't like it. So. The other thing is, like, not everything, like, it's not for everybody. Like, I just remember so the, the, the newest Black Christmas movie. Obviously, mm-hmm. people still have such, like, strong opinions on that movie. And, like, I get it, but at the same time, like, I walked out of that movie and I saw there was a giant group of high school kids and they were talking about it and they were, like, excited and they loved it and, like, listening to them. And I was like, this movie isn't for me. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Like, that's fine. Here's this new, younger generation that now has their movie. And I just, that's something I think that sometimes these fans of these especially when it comes to like long running franchises kind of forget it's like that other movie still there yeah still exists like that's not changing really so just you have that like what's the problem like maybe this just isn't for you and that's fine Mm -hmm. yeah i think i i feel that the most with the with star wars and the new um newer trilogy uh people like i guess like hardcore star wars fans often forget that those the original trilogy was made for kids like george lucas has said many times like this if you're like a 40 something old person and you're still on the internet complaining about ray and all that stuff like you like missed the point like none of this is Mm -hmm. for you but yeah yeah. oh i remember about space wizards written for children (laughs) Mm -hmm. my little sister had this friend my sister's six years younger than me and like she had this friend uh, who was who was a boy, and he when the the nineties prequels came out, he was obsessed with them. He had a little like rat tail like Anakin, and was like all about it. And like I will never forget that number one because I just like would love to see pictures of that and like show him now. But also it's just like that was his Star Wars, you know? Like he loved those movies mm-hmm. and like we look back at him now and like even then I was like, okay, well, this isn't necessarily like my thing, but little Nathan loved them. Right. And I just like I who cares? Like I don't know. That that gets lost, I think. My the first thing I remember period, the first thing in my life I remember is being like 2 years old maybe three just because it played for so long. But I know my first memory is seeing star Wars in a drive-in theater. Mm. We got a cat right after that. And I insisted we named it Ben Kenobi. Um, That's amazing. And I've loved star Wars ever since. And like, I didn't necessarily love like the rise of Skywalker. I saw it. It's the movie I've seen the least. I've only watched it once. I walked out of the theater going, it was okay. I could have done more. I'm just going to move on with my day now and do something else I like. What I didn't do 
was and it seems like it's same thing with rise with the last jedi this idea that this movie was attack on my personhood somehow Mm -hmm. like it's really you're no longer a fan at that point it's and it's what scream i'm glad you mentioned star wars because that's exactly what scream does like they actually very implicitly talk about the last jedi with stab eight being the movie that everybody hates and it was directed by the knives out guy and it's so clever how they do that like again this movie is just smart in ways you don't think about until you watch it a billion times like us yeah and i mean last jedi is one of my favorite star wars Mm -hmm. movies so you know i'm I'm that guy but all right I want to move on. I know we're getting getting close to the end here. I apologize to all of you for sucking you in and making you talk to me for three hours today. Um, That's how you maintain friendships, Mike. I have friends. I have people that like. I do have people that like me. We love you, Mike. Um, let's talk about the music of this movie because for the first time, Marco Bodrami does not return to score. It's scored by uh, Brian Taylor. Uh, I'm sorry, Brian Tyler, and that is about the extent of my knowledge in terms of like Brian Tyler as a composer. So Rachel, sure, I turn it Brian over. Brian Tyler, you. Brian Tyler is a big, big name. You look at his credits, and it's like shocking how mm-hmm. much this guy is involved in. He is very much like the sound of like big action cinema that we think of these days. It's like incredibly big, incredibly bombastic, wall-to-wall score. And I mean, you think of, what did I write down here? Oh, he's done the Fast and the Furious franchise. Hell yeah. Um, He did Avengers, Age of Ultron, the newest Final Destination, The Expendables 1 through 3, Thor, The Dark World, Rambo 2008. So like this guy knows what he's doing. And I think it's also important to note that a lot of these things what he's very good at is taking over for other large composers. Mm -hmm. So like you look at, you know, he took over final destination after Shirley Walker passed away. Uh, When Jerry Goldsmith passed away, he took over Rambo Um, Avengers. He took over from Alan Silvestri. Like these are iconic composers. Mm. And what he's really good at is balancing their sound with his, but also updating it. And I do think that you see that in Scream. Like, Marco Beltrami's still around. I'm not exactly sure why he didn't do this, whether he was invited and just chose not to. Uh, Brian Tyler has worked a lot with the crew involved with this new Scream franchise. I can't remember exactly how he's connected, but I think, like, mm-hmm. the producers he's just worked with a bunch. But, like, you do see, like, hints of the old scream score you get like dewey's theme back a little bit and then just the way the music is used that big orchestral sound it still fits i think um but it does also to me signal that like oh no this is a big studio movie like you get brian tyler involved like that's a studio movie Mm Like this isn't just some like indie horror film anymore or whatever. Yeah. Like this is this is big time. Um, quick. I think so. That's all I was gonna say. Quick. <laughs> it's also a kick-ass like rock soundtrack. Like the two songs that play at the over the end credits. Like there's one like really like pogish pop punk song that absolutely rips. There's another one that plays or like, and you have this note here like 
it reminds us of a time when like soundtracks and movies mattered and you would buy a soundtrack like the crow or scream or whatever, just because like the songs kicked ass on it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it reaches that same level. It feels mm-hmm. as when it comes to like the modern, like pop songs that are in it, it feels a little all over the place. Yep. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I love alkaline trio. I have a terrible alkaline trio tattoo on my back that you will never see, but it challenge. <laughs> so bad. Which album, which album is it from? Oh, all right. Mike, it's from good morning, which is even worse because but that's where good I was album. at that time. That's a good I don't know what any of this it's, means. It's no, like maybe I'll catch fire or like, God damn it or whatever. You God know? damn it is still the best okay fair enough but i you know it's like really alkaline you're going with alkaline trio for a 2022 film like that i don't know i thought that was weird but like i loved orville peck like snuck Mm -hmm. in there i love the way that they used red right hand like i was saying i thought it was clever to use it because it fit his character and also Mm -hmm. the fact that he's a red herring (laughs) i'm just glad they brought it back because it wasn't in four and four was like the first movie it wasn't in and i was kind of bummed but i'm glad they brought it back yeah, at least, you know, it's in there. It made sense. And at least for the fans, it was like, oh, yes, there it is. Mm-hmm. Although but every I, time it starts playing, I'm like, oh, is Tom Waits on this soundtrack? And then I remember, no, 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 it's the other one. It's Nick Cave. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't think it's like quite as cohesive or makes as much sense as some of the earlier ones, I will say. I'll say this. I think that in a, I think it fits with how kids experience music now because I don't feel like it's quite as compartmentalize like i think kids now listen to a lot more eclectic music like they're not defined maybe by one genre anymore because a albums aren't as big of a thing and b like regional scenes and this could be me being old but it doesn't feel like regional scenes are as big of a thing as they would have been 20 30 i don't think so i think years ago i think kids like get music from tiktok and youtube and it's more randomized and playlists so you know you have and i will admit i am the person that I'll see a kid in a Nirvana t-shirt and I'll be like, what's your favorite Nirvana song? Oh, don't be that guy. Look at me and I'll be like, I need to get, listen, I need to be, I, these, these children at school drive me crazy. I need to Lord over them any way I can. I did have one say the man who sold the world and I'm like, judges will allow it. Great. But they'll look at you. Like, I don't even know who Nirvana is. I'm like, what's Nirvana? Their fucking shirt. So you know um, what you should be doing? You should be making them, like playlists I, and sharing them. I have like, hey, done you that with these kids. Know some <laughs> I have done that with these kids. And they look right. at you like, you are a creepy old man. Which <laughs> they they're right. appreciate their history. They start yelling, stranger danger. Um, it is <laughs> I just want to share the Spotify playlist. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole thing. So, um, to make you hate me a little bit, uh, Mike, I didn't know that Dave Grohl was in Nirvana until like two weeks ago that's okay you know what that's okay my that dad is... just found that out too he told mm-hmm. me at family dinner like two weeks ago he's like did you know the guy from foo fighters and i was like yes dad, yes, dad. So I feel I like judges will allow it because i feel like in in general pop culture it's like kurt cobain at all it's like no one really talks about right anyone yeah else in nirvana oh poor chris is christopher like, Selleck has kind of gone what? off the chris? deep end christopher chris? well yeah. he's kind of like a maga dude now and he's kind of weird so it's all right anyway about, um, um bell yeah. he but marco Beltrami was uh, one of the voices in the the four west um scene Ooh, oh, okay oh, that's cool I love yeah. that. 
That's very cool. And Wes Craven is one of those directors where anyone who worked with him, like no one has a bad word to say about him. Like considered one of the true, like gentle intellectual people, like we're warmest people that um, anyone has ever worked with. So I do love that this movie pays like fitting homage and tribute to him. And is just so open about him, like embracing their love for Wes Craven, who um, I think would really like this movie. I think he would watch this and really dig it. So I just watched the episode I... of um, cursed films about mm-hmm. serpent in the rainbow. And I think everyone, mm. Mm, oh. everyone made some questionable decisions while making that movie. But yeah, everyone still mm-hmm. like, I think the common denominator was everyone still loves Wes Craven. Yeah. I, the fact that Wes, that they were making a screen movie without Wes was big, mm-hmm. like a big stumbling block for me getting into this movie to start. Yeah. Like it was one of the, like the fact that it was a legacy sequel and it was being done without Craven. I was very mm-hmm. reticent to go see this, but it was a screen movie. So I was going to go see this. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I felt, it felt like a Wes Craven movie. Like yep. it felt like something he would have had a hand in and, and like you said, something he would have enjoyed. Yeah. And I think that they definitely paid tribute to him in, in such wonderful ways throughout the film, not mm-hmm. just to the screen franchise, but you know, there are Freddy Krueger. Ref- Apparently they tried to make Amber's, you know, post oven makeup look vaguely Kruger esque. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Kyle Gallner who was in the reboot of the nightmare on Elm street film in this as well. Um, like you've got some some other kind of craving connections throughout the film. Here's one. The first Ghostface call of the movie. Mm-hmm. That sounds like Wes Craven. Like the voice in there, when you listen to the cadence, the pattern, and just the voice itself, it feels mm-hmm. very much like Roger Jackson channeling Wes Craven. Like I heard that, and I'm like, that sounds so much like him. And I don't, I haven't read anything where that is intentional. And I maybe I'm the only person who thinks that because I'm bananas. But if you go back and watch that opening scene, it sounds like Craven. I do love that Roger L. Jackson got so much to do in this film. Mm -hmm. But he, like his speaking roles are way longer than like the rest of the films combined. And he like, you can tell Mm -hmm. he just like loves tormenting people on the phone. Oh, He's essential to the series because he's they, giving multiple performances every time, and that's a hard trick. And they put they, don't they put him like live on set to actually call yeah. people, but like hide him in a different room mm-hmm. so no one knows what he looks like. They're just yeah. like they just hand him the phone, and he's actually like talking to and taunting yeah. the actors on the phone. Like mm-hmm. I love that. That's so great. No, yeah. so I guess the last thing I've got is what what happens next. Um, what do we we know there's going to be a scream six it's going to hit march of next year which is really fast Mm. um i feel like it's time to move away from the original cast make this about sam and tara and mindy and just kind of go on from there um i'm definitely i'm all for more of the billy loomis living inside of we didn't really talk about that but skeet all rich coming back i am mm. all for more of like billy loomis living somewhere in sam's head uh and being her 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 ego as it were um but i want give me Stu mocker like i really thought the way that like it felt like Stu was being kind of erased for a lot of the movie that it was going to lead to a reveal that he had come back and you instead get the reveal that it's his house which i 
fucking loved. Still great. But, yeah. Yeah. Still very happy with that. But bring, I'd be really happy if they brought back Stu like they had planned on for part three. I'm going to disagree with you. I don't know. <laughs> don't bring him back. Like move on. <laughs> like I, if this like franchise is going to have any sort of like longevity and like, I love Stu. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. Like, I love Matthew Lillard. I just think that, like, you have to cut the cord at some point. And, mm-hmm. like, otherwise, it's just it's going to drag it down. Like, take yeah. it somewhere new. Like That's a good point. I just, if they didn't bring him back for this one, they got to, like, you just, you got to go. You got to move on. Okay. I agree. But also, me, I want Stu back. because he's Oh, I know. And, like, don't, like, I... We'll love to see him because, yep. and I'm mm-hmm. sure that they probably they're gonna bring other people back. You know, in what capacity? I don't know, but like, what they if, probably will. But what if they and hear to... me? What if and hear me out? Stu had a twin brother that lived at boarding school. <laughs> Drew, no! Drew, 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 I Drew and Stu, Drew and Stu Mocker. Yeah, I love it. It's perfect. Um, I I don't know. For my money, and, and I can't take credit for this, this was something that Brian Kuyper said on on Twitter when they announced the sequel, um, but Scream is at its best when it is commenting on something, mm-hmm. yeah. um, either within the genre or otherwise. Um, and so I, in terms of what they do story-wise and where they take it, I'm less concerned as to as I am with what are they going to be commenting on, like what is mm-hmm. the meta angle going to be and is it going to be effective? Because I think I would argue that the least effective Scream films are the ones that don't have that meta angle mm-hmm. in check. Like by the time they release those first three movies so quickly, the first one is a commentary on horror movies. The second one is a commentary on horror sequels. By the time the third one comes out, they've rushed those first two out. So the third one is a commentary on this franchise itself, on the Scream franchise, which yeah. I think is not as effective as it could be. But the third then, one was also a total rewrite because they threw right. out the original idea of it after Columbine. So Correct. it kind of like, it's not necessarily its fault. And the fourth one is more, I think scream works and it doesn't get so far up its own head that it has to be super meta, you know, that it, when it, it works at its best when it's like, yes, it's a part of it, but like, we're also telling a great story. Like what works about scream isn't the fact that it's, oh, it's a meta horror movie. Like, you know, it works because like the kids are aware horror movie exists, but it's also a killer story. Part four works better in retrospect because it's so prescient. It's so like predicted this idea that at some point we are all going to live online and be recording ourselves every moment of the day. And we're going to be famous for being famous or famous for doing nothing. And that Mm. kind of like influencer culture, like that was way ahead of the curve in 2011, but by 2015, 2016, you're like, Oh, this is really smart. And you know, so I don't know what, like, what can you comment on a year later? Like multiverses are big. Spinoffs are big. Like, how would you do this? Hmm? NFTs. NFTs. (laughs) So a hostile type of movie where you're killing characters and then like you get the NFT of their death, like some sort of like hostile murder for hire type situation. Like, I don't know what you can do. Yeah. It would be easy to comment on like, current things Mm -hmm. you know like it would be easy to do like kind of not like a cult of chucky kind of thing where Mm -hmm. where there's like multiple but like what if like ghost faces like popped up all over the place and Mm -hmm. they were you know like people like 
if they franchise out Ghostface. Yeah, well, yeah, and like, like in different cities, like, what if they expanded the world of Ghostface? Mm-hmm. Like, people like idolizing this villainous figure and like banding together, you know, kind of like what you saw, I guess, in the new Batman, yep. where like there was like all these Riddlers all over, right? Yeah, but but that's today. Like, Scream has always been kind of good about like projecting or like looking ahead a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I, I, I don't know. I'm curious if no. they're going to be able to do that because I feel like Kevin Williamson and like West were really good at that. But these new, you know, new team, if they're going to be equally as good mm-hmm. as that, at that. All I know is I will be there opening night. Oh, totally. And 100%. that we'll be covering it, and that we'll be back. And I'm not calling it six cream. I will <laughs> refuse to do that. I'm, I'm still a little bummed. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still a little bummed they didn't call it five cream. I'm not gonna lie. I hate that so much, so or much. Just like as as much as I even like hate like adding like the colons or something. It's just like mm-hmm. it's so confusing. Like even just looking up stuff, it's like scream. 2022 like i i get why they do that because it's a new generation and new people and like i get it's part of the whole it's marketing thing, but it's i'm marketing like over it it's if you it's, put, the com- it's part of the commentary if you put screen five and again if you put screen five in front of it you're gonna have a whole group of people that are like well i don't want to go ahead and watch four movies if i haven't seen it you can bring in it's easier in a psychological level to bring in new people to go see it but it does make it very confusing looking forward to the next reboot of halloween where we have like four halloween movies on our shelves all right that is our talk on scream five scream 2022 five cream just scream whatever um so before we go let's plug some shit all right andrew thank you so much for joining us and putting up with us thanks for having me now, where can we, you know, we talked a little bit about your custom sneaker business, but where can folks find you right now? And what are you working on? You can find me on Twitter at laptop underscore Lassane or on Instagram at I want custom shoes. Easy enough to remember. Yeah. Always both. I stuff. want custom shoes. Any underscores or just all nope. one? All one word. Excellent. Thank you. And you're going to come back. I don't, I did not know you liked child's play so much. I would have had you on even sooner. So yeah, it's please come it's back. Me and me and Matt Donato are the torch bearers for that franchise, I guess. Excellent. We got to do the Chucky TV series at some point. So That'll, I think we'll be the patron. We'll definitely nice. do that. So talk about a requel that worked. I consider right. that a requel. Absolutely. <laughs> Rachel, why do you take it away? Yeah. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at VinylGirl, G-R-R-R-L, and on Instagram, I'm at the Vinyl Girl. And um, yeah, I'll be haunting around uh, Rue Morgue and Dread Central. Got some stuff in the works. So yeah, you can always find mm-hmm. my stuff there. I just added an album uh, based on one of your reviews. I was reading on, on Carpenter Brute. Who oh I never God, heard yeah. of, and I'm like, this sounds really up my alley. So, Carpenter um, Brute is great. I'm looking forward to listening to this uh, very yeah. soon. Um, I've only listened to like Jawbreaker and New Junk City, who I just heard of for the first time ever, and I'm like hooked on that pop punk band right now. But I'm looking nice. forward to listening to this album really soon because it sounded fantastic. 
it's it's great. It's yeah, part yeah. of their their it's a sequel to their he's got a whole trilogy of albums. Excellent. Uh, a faux soundtrack. So mm-hmm. this is the middle album in the trilogy. Excellent. Steven, where can Hi. we find you, my friend? Uh, well, none of my information has changed since last week, but if you didn't listen to the Child's Play uh, remake episode, uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Chewy Walrus. Uh, and you can find my podcast, the Disenfranchised Podcast, where we talk about movies that never made it past the f- franchises that never made it past the first movie, uh, which I host with my co-host, Brett Wright. You can find us anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, we're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Pod. And on Patreon, patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. Excellent. Well, as you know, you can find the pod of the pendulum everywhere you get your podcasts because you're listening to the show. Follow us on Twitter at pod and pendulum. Check out our website, podandthependulum.com for all of our back episodes or to subscribe through any and all pod chasers. Please take a moment like we've been kind of teetering near 100 reviews for a little while now, take a moment if you haven't already, like a great third birthday gift would be getting over those 100 reviews. Leave us a five star review and a few kind words. We did just get a one star review um, saying that like we whine too much. And I'm like, I could probably think of some episodes where that's true. <laughs> to be fair, I think if you dig through the archives there, you know, it was um I didn't necessarily agree with the review, but I could see their point. I just don't know why you would leave a one star review. Like move on talk. That's toxic fandom. And I will find you and pee on your shoe. Uh, you can find me at Mike underscore Smoonian uh, over on Twitter. Mike chump change over on letterbox. You can find my other show. I forgot the name of it. You can find my other show. <laughs> I just psychoanalysis, right? Psychoanalysis. Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast where we examine horror movies through the lens of mental health. In the month of May, month of May, we're doing Bad Moms, which is really fun. Not I voted for Hot Moms, and Jen and Laura were like, no. We're not doing hot moms. And I'm like, God damn it. So we did bad moms. Um, Why do they never listen to your good ideas, Mike? <laughs> they are so much smarter and better than me. Um, <laughs> so you can hear uh, me over there. Listeners, thank you so much if you've stuck with us for all three hours of this right now. If you've listened to all three hours, give us a review. You must like us. Or, or you're like, you hate us so much that you're like hate listening right now like you sons of bitches ripping Um, the sides of your chair in disgust this has been a super fun three years i love doing the show i love the people i do the show with um moving forward we should have a another episode in between this and our start of uh the texas chainsaw massacre franchise i will warn my co-host sorry Jen's, I hate you Jen's so much. Jen's, <laughs> Jen's not here, Jen's so I had to do it. up over my shoulder. Thank you, Andrew. Um, oh, she gets... And you did the thing she does where she gets super excited. She gets so happy when she knows I'm going to say it. It's beautiful. Um, we'll be doing TCM coming up soon. Uh, I will warn my co-host. It feels like that one will be a similar length. I'm already reading three books for research, but after that one, I think we'll get to a normal, normal show links again. Thank you so much, listeners. Have a wonderful week, and I'd say we'll be right back, but then we would be killed. Take care.